the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. That poem written in 1893 was about how God relentlessly pursues the fleeing soul like a hound on the hunt. How God never gives up the chase. No matter how fast or how far we try to run from him, God runs faster and farther still to go after us because of his love for us until we are finally exhausted with ourselves that we turn to him and receive his grace. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel. God is a God who pursues. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that God will never give up on you. The Lord promises that he will never leave or forsake you. He will constantly pursue and chase after you because of his great love for you. Pastor Gary explains that no matter how far you feel like you've gone astray from the Lord, that He is near. He has not left you. You can't outrun God's incredible love for you. Embrace the love, grace, and goodness that He has for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, as he begins his message, Who is King of Your Life? For today, we're here in Daniel, chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 18 verses, and we'll take a look at this chapter together. This happens to be what I consider the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar in his final surrender to, to the Lord. This chapter concludes any other reference in the Bible to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, his name might be mentioned elsewhere, but, but for all intents and purposes, at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar fades off the pages of the Bible. And he fades off, though, in a, in a wonderful way by finally coming to the place where he surrenders to God. Will we see him in heaven? I personally think so, but who knows for sure. And so this is a wonderful chapter having to do with a man who finally came to the place where he realized, you know what, I just really need to surrender to God. And so here in chapter 4, I'm going to read the first 18 verses. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs, and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, Daniel, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Nebuchadnezzar's story really is our story. This is a guy who had it all and yet lacked everything. This is a guy who was pursued by God time and time again, but didn't really surrender to him until something terrible happened in his life. This is a story about a guy who paid the price for pride and understood a little bit about the agony of arrogance. But this is also a story about redemption. This is also a wonderful story about restoration. Someone who got to the end of his life and uh, realized that The only one that he could really look to was no longer himself, but was to the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar's story is our story. When chapter 4 opens here, as we study this chapter together today, Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan Babylonian king, is actually, if you notice with me in the first few verses of chapter 4, he's actually ascribing glory and honor to God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This Babylonian pagan king is honoring and worshiping and praising God. And the opening verses of chapter 4 almost read like verses lifted from one of the Psalms of David. Because when you look again at verse 3, look at how Nebuchadnezzar just worships God. And he says in verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. 
And so here he is ascribing honor to God, almost like a royal proclamation, because it begins written in the first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar, declare, and it's almost like this royal proclamation throughout the entire Babylonian empire about just how great God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. And no wonder Nebuchadnezzar is awed about God, because God has been pursuing him, and God has been revealing himself to this pagan king. Remember back in chapter 2, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, the first dream that he has. It's about this statue made of different metals, and you remember from our study in chapter 2, he calls some of his own advisors and asks them what was the dream and what's the interpretation. They can't give him the dream. They can't give him the interpretation, so he has him killed. And Daniel steps up and says, well, if you give me some time to pray about this, maybe I can come up with it. And so the king gives him time to pray. He prays, and by inspiration of the Lord, Daniel then gets the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and its interpretation, goes back to Nebuchadnezzar, tells him what his dream was, tells him what the dream means, and Nebuchadnezzar gets a glimpse of God. Because in that moment, you see, Nebuchadnezzar realized all my other enchanters, diviners, and sorcerers could not come up with the dream or its interpretation. But Daniel, you come to me, and you've given to me exactly what I've asked and more, and it's a testimony of your God. And at the end of chapter 2, verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar makes this first statement honoring and praising the God of the Bible when he says in Daniel 2.47, truly, Daniel, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. So Nebuchadnezzar is starting to move towards God, and he acknowledges God. But then there's a 15 to 20 year gap between chapters 2 and chapter 3. Last week, we studied chapter 3. And again, God reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And the scene from last week was Daniel's three friends, known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to this image, this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And for that, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, only to be rescued by God. It's a miracle. The Bible describes it such. The Lord himself appears in the midst of the fiery furnace to rescue these three guys. Nebuchadnezzar sees this. And he says, didn't we throw three guys into the fiery furnace? Why is there a fourth one? And he looks like the son of God. Because Jesus actually did visit these guys, protect them, such that they came out of the fiery furnace without, the Bible says, even the smell of smoke on their garments. And Nebuchadnezzar, once again, is like, wow, this this can only be attributed to your God. God has rescued you. And at the end of chapter 3, he says in verse 28, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And Nebuchadnezzar makes this decree throughout the entire empire that nobody can ever trash talk that God, the God of the Bible, again. And if you do, you're going to be cut into little pieces. And so at the end of chapter 3, verse 29, he says, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And so time and again, God's getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Chapter 2, with the dream. Chapter 3, the fiery furnace. And now here comes chapter 4. And at the beginning of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is, as I've said, he's praising God here. He's glorifying the God of heaven because he's been wowed by God on several occasions. But as much as Nebuchadnezzar was amazed by God, wowed by God, and goes around telling everybody about God, he just simply has not yet surrendered to God. He's a proud man. He's a self-made man. He just simply was not willing to bend his knee to the God of the universe and to surrender to him and to submit to him as Lord. The only one wearing a crown in Nebuchadnezzar's life was Nebuchadnezzar. 
and he was not willing for God to be king of his life. Nevertheless, what is amazing about this man's journey is that God continued to pursue this pagan king. How many of you are glad that God continued to pursue you? God is a pursuer, and God goes after us because he loves us. And he goes in this story to great lengths to try to reach this pagan king. But unfortunately, here's what happens. The more God pursues us, and if it is met by our resistance, in other words, the more God pursues us and we don't respond to him and we don't surrender to him and we don't finally acknowledge that he is Lord and King, what happens then is God steps up his game. And that's exactly what he does with Nebuchadnezzar. Because the more he pursued Nebuchadnezzar, the further Nebuchadnezzar... Oh, Nebuchadnezzar gave a passing reference. Like, yeah, wow, that God of the Bible, that God of Daniel, man, he's a great God. Everybody should take note of him. And he's wonderful. But a passing acknowledgement and praise every now and then is very different from a surrendered life. And Nebuchadnezzar just simply did not surrender to God. And so God steps up his game with Nebuchadnezzar. And you you can almost ask yourself, when you look at chapters 2, 3, and 4, it's like, you know, why did God go after this pagan king as much as he did? I mean, why not just why not just let the guy go? And, you know, obviously he didn't get, he didn't get it after chapter two. He didn't get it after chapter three. Why even bother with chapter four here? And the answer to that question is, well, why does God continue to pursue this guy? Is, is the same answer to why he continues to pursue us? Because he loves us. And because God knows that left to ourselves, we're on a reckless path, a path of self-destruction, that the human condition is fallen, We are bound by sin. We are bound by things that are destructive in our lives. We we are eternally separated from God without God, and therefore we need God. And the only Savior given unto men, the only name given unto us by which we must be saved is the name Jesus. And so God pursues us and pursues us and pursues us until we finally will get so tired of running that we turn to him and recognize our need for a Savior. And Nebuchadnezzar is this kind of a guy, and he's a picture of all of us. You know, we, we esteem people who are self-made people. You know, we honor, we think it's noble. Wow, you're a self-made person. Oh, I'm the captain of my ship. Well, that's, uh, that's, that sounds really nice, but in reality, that's just arrogance. That's just saying, I'm, you know, I'm king of my life, and God isn't. And Nebuchadnezzar is that guy. And Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of every single one of us who just think that we're in charge of our own lives and we're successful because of our own skills and our own abilities and we're smart because of our own education and we're this and we're that and we're wealthy and we're all and we begin to think i've done this i've created this i am who i am and this is nebuchadnezzar this this is us and so god pursues us because he wants to be king and lord of our lives because he sees us on a path of self-destruction and so god is as The poet Francis Thompson called him in in a really old poem written in 1893 entitled The Hound of Heaven. God is the Hound of Heaven. That poem written in 1893 was about how God relentlessly pursues the fleeing soul like a hound on the hunt. How God never gives up the chase. No matter how fast or how far we try to run from him, God runs faster and farther still to go after us because of his love for us until we are finally exhausted with ourselves that we turn to him and receive his grace. And I suspect 
If I were to ask for a show of hands, there's probably a few of us in the room that have some, some hound paw prints on our back because God has been hunting us down and we've been on the run. And so here in chapter four, God gives Nebuchadnezzar yet another dream. God's going to step up his game here with Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, okay, you didn't get it in chapter two. You didn't get it in chapter three. So you're going to get it here in chapter four. And so God gives Nebuchadnezzar yet another dream, a dream that torments him, another dream that none of his astrologers and sorcerers can answer. So he turns to Daniel, and Daniel interprets it by inspiration from the Lord. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about a tree. He has this dream of a big tree, and it's mentioned in verses 10 through 12. So I'll just read those verses again. Verses 10 through 12. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. Now notice the different language to describe it. Its height was great. The tree grew out, grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So I just kind of pulled out some descriptive terms there from those verses, and this is what we see about the tree. It was noted for its size, strength, prominence, beauty, fruitfulness, and shelter. And so Daniel interprets this dream for him. And the Lord shows Daniel what it all means. What is it referring to? And Daniel first starts out by saying, King, I'm going to tell you what the meaning is, and I wish it didn't apply to you. I wish this applied to your enemies, because you're not going to probably like what I have to say, but nevertheless, you need to hear it. And Daniel ends up telling him in verse 22, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. I'm going to read verses 22 to 26, so you can just see a little bit about what Daniel says to him. He says in verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you. Notice this, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you have come to know that heaven rules. Daniel ends up giving Nebuchadnezzar this interpretation. He says to him, you are that tree. He says, you've become great and strong. Your kingdom, your empire is powerful and prominent in the world. He says to him, this is a picture of your empire in that man and beast alike have found shelter and shade and sustenance in the shadows of your kingdom. He says, but unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar, 
You do not glorify the sovereign God who gave you all this and who made you successful. He says, you do not glorify the sovereign God who rules over the earth. And you do not glorify the sovereign God who is king over your kingdom and over every kingdom. And so, Daniel says, further giving the interpretation of this dream, so your kingdom is going to be cut down and a stump is going to be left in the ground. And that stump is going to be bound by iron and bronze. And he tells them that this is what it basically means. He says, you're going to be cut down. Your kingdom will be become a stump bound with iron and bronze. Those metals in the Bible are always pictures of judgment. He says, God's going to judge your kingdom. He's going to judge you because you've been on the throne of your life. Despite the fact that God has revealed himself to you time and time again, you still think you're king and you need to recognize that God is king. He's king over your life. He's king over your kingdom. He's king over everything about you. And until you surrender and acknowledge that, you're going to go through some really painful, dark days to get to the bottom of yourself so that you'll eventually cry out for God. Now, it's interesting because in God's mercy, he says, the stump and the roots shall remain because it's a picture of the fact that God is going to restore his kingdom. That God is going to have mercy on him yet again. He's not completely cutting away everything here. He's leaving this remnant. That's a stump and the roots. And things are going to grow back. But there's going to be judgment along the way. Because Daniel says to him, basically, you have to be humbled first. And you will be, he tells him in verse 25, you're going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. He goes into this description about how men are going to cast you out. You're going to be put out of your palace. You're going to end up living like oxen and cattle grazing in the pasture lands because this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to lose your throne and you're going to lose your mind and you're going to end up grazing like a farm animal. This is what he tells him in advance until, until this is the end of verse 25, till you know the most high rules. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, when you get to the place that you finally recognize and surrender to God that the most high rules until then you're going to be miserable but when that happens you're going to see a whole new day the question becomes to every single one of us who is ruler of your life who is ruler of your life because if you say that you are ruler of your life then God has no room and on the other hand if you say God is ruler of my life fine but that also means that there's no room for you because God will not share his throne with us there's no co-regency with God. He's either fully king and completely Lord, or he's none of those things at all. It's one or the other. We are either on the throne of our own lives, or God is. But it won't be both. Nebuchadnezzar had lived his life with himself fully on the throne. And it's going to take some hardship and some difficulty to get him to the place where he's finally going to surrender to God. And again, his story is our story. Because there are a lot of us that would testify to the same thing. We had to go through something really terrible and humbling. We had to be broken before we finally acknowledged and surrendered to Jesus as king. And so Daniel has some closing advice here for Nebuchadnezzar. He interprets his dream, says this is what a dream means. You're, you've been on the throne of your life. You think that you're king of your kingdom. You're not. God is king of every kingdom. Towards your new life
Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of Daniel. This man of faith lived in a time where Israel wasn't a nation. They didn't even live in their own homeland. Yet people like Daniel and his friends continued to serve the Lord, even when it wasn't widely accepted. They faced persecution, even to the point of death, yet they remained firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. While today you may not be facing a lion's den or a furnace if you profess your trust in Christ, you may indeed face opposition. God is still calling you to stand strong and to tell the truth, helping others to see the light. Your Creator is with you and will be your strength through whatever comes your way. Please know that we're praying for you here at Cornerstone Connection. If there's something specific we could be lifting up to the Lord, please get in touch with us. Our number is 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know